Today, we're finally realizing the degree to which the Chinese Communist Party is truly hostile to the United States and our value. Beijing insists that these are somehow internal matters that others have no right to raise. That is wrong. The police officer responded that pandemic prevention is the department's top priority and said nothing else was important. The Chinese Communist Party, an opaque regime now at the helm of authoritarianism globally. Today, we'll take a peek behind this new iron curtain into the world of China's communist officialdom. Much is hidden from our view by the workings of a massive propaganda apparatus. Few researchers know as much about the Chinese Communist leadership as award-winning filmmaker Kay Rubacek, author of Who Are China's Walking Dead? She's also the former host of the NTD show Life and Times. They're under extreme pressure and they're constantly being forced to separate from their conscience and eventually it breaks them. Kay has interviewed dozens of former communist officials and poured through official documents and speeches to understand the worldview of people serving the regime. Today we'll dive into the warped world of China's communist leadership one largely hidden from public view until now. I met with Kay in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York, where Kay lives and her company Swoop Films is based. You know, it's really beautiful here. Uh, it is. And, you know, this is actually the longest elevated pedestrian walkway in the world. And I grew up on a river, so being by the water is, is like, a, like a second home for me. And why the Hudson Valley? This area, actually, for centuries, artists have come to this area. I mean, just the natural beauty of it has been an inspiration for people for a long time. And I think as a filmmaker, I, I find a lot of inspiration here, too. Seems like a really unlikely place where you'd be researching the walking dead of China. It's true for a topic like that, but it's actually because of that topic being so heavy and there's a lot of negativity in it. Coming to a place like this, being able to get out into nature, it gives me that pause to be able to process that information and just take a step back and maybe and see things more clearly. It turned out Kay and I actually share some similar family backgrounds. My family had escaped communist Poland while her family fled from Russia and Czechoslovakia. So taking on communism, that's something that's a bit in your family history, isn't it? It is personal to me because my family escaped communism first in Russia and then in China. And they came to a place like this, essentially, there's freedom of belief, freedom of speech. But these are the kind of things that I take for granted. While Nazi leaders faced the Nuremberg trials, there was no equivalent for the Soviet leadership. Fast forward to today, recent polls suggest 40% of Americans have a favorable view of socialism. 
half of young Americans, millennials born between 1981 and 1996, want to live in a socialist country. Socialism is always popular among young people, uh, perhaps more so now. But few Americans can imagine what it actually means to live in a socialist country today. So when I was five years old, I remember standing in bread lines in Poland. And I didn't really think much of it, actually. It was more the reward at the end. You know, you got this delicious bread to eat. I don't think people in North America associate China with anything remotely resembling a bread line. You're right, because we don't see bread lines anymore. The CCP's learned that. They've learned you don't show these things. So there's no bread lines now. If, if people want bread, they give them bread. It's all about maintaining absolute control over the whole country. That's what the CCP does. So we see things like these shiny buildings in China, and you see, you see it all the time, that look at how the economy's grown and expanded. But that's on the surface. What's going on beneath hasn't changed the, the essence of what they're doing. Even today, we see commentary that the U.S. and other Western democracies should cooperate or engage with China, or that the Chinese communist model is even superior. We've been trying to work with China for the last 10 years. I am personally very impressed and very encouraged by China's progress. We had things to sell, and China is our biggest customer. Xi Jinping had his own agenda. For the past 40 years, many have praised this authoritarian communist model, despite ever-increasing evidence of human rights atrocities occurring in China. This is where the CCP thinks they've tricked us, because they know very clearly that the West thinks about concepts differently, and they use that to their advantage. Like, they will say, we no longer have forced labor, we have drug rehabilitation centers, and we say, good for you, well done. But it's a lie. They know we can't go in there and prove them wrong. So a fundamental thing I've found through interviewing these Chinese officials is that they are the closest to the CCP culture. And their point of view, that culture, is completely different to ours. What explains this radical culture gap between those living in China and those living in the free world? Kay wanted to find out more. And her journey began here with a strange story. One can't really imagine it unless one experiences it themselves. If the story of my family is made public, I know it will bring a lot of danger. Maybe they will go after my family members. Kay's recent documentary, Finding Courage, touches on the Chinese regime's long history of brutality against its own citizens. It centers around the story of two sisters, one killed by the regime in a labor camp because she practiced the Falun Gong spiritual practice, and her sister Yifei, a former journalist living in exile in San Francisco, who seeks justice for her sister's death. I invited Kay to our studios in Manhattan to tell us more about what she uncovered in her interviews and research. So about Finding Courage, the film that spawned the book, I haven't seen anything remotely like this sort of undercover footage from a Chinese labor camp, no less, anywhere. I mean, how did you manage to swing this? The two main characters in the movie, they were both high-ranking journalists in China. One of them escaped to America. The other one stayed in China and continued working as a journalist. 
but at the same time he was there protecting the remains of their sister's body who was killed, murdered in a labour camp more than 16 years ago and her remains are being held in a morgue under lock and key by a labour camp and people say to me how is it possible that a labour camp in China could do that, why would they do that and why would they pay $3,000 a year to maintain the body as they're doing? Wait, so the labour camp is paying? Yes, the labour camp is paying that amount of money every year to maintain the body and you know every time I tell people that story they usually do a double take and say how, how is that possible and why and this was the reaction I had when I was interviewing the Chinese officials because they were telling me similar stories that just as equally bizarre strange to me as, as that one and I would be thinking how can I explain that to in a way that someone could comprehend what they're talking about when I'm still struggling to really make sense of that world. And in this case with the family, when I heard about the body, I, I immediately asked them, we need proof. And they provided us documents from the labor camp as our first, first form of evidence and that this was happening. So we had written evidence about it. And then the husband, who is a high-ranking journalist, he used his connections to go into the labor camp under the guise of wanting to meet the new camp director, and he filmed uh, und undercover. It was shocking. So why are they keeping the body? The reason they're keeping the body is that no one is willing to take responsibility to cremate it. So like in China, when you're an official in the CCP, you've got power, you've got money, you've got status, you've got rank. This family has that. Regular citizens in China, if they were to die inside a labor camp, normally the body would just be cremated with or without the family's permission. But this family has status and rank and they've chosen to use that to try and retrieve the remains of their sister's body and stop it from being cremated. And so far they've been able to do that. We know the body's still there. You know, so basically, these labor camp officials, they just don't know exactly how much clout this family has. Clearly, they have clout. Clearly, they are somewhat part of the officialdom, but they're just hedging their bets here. They don't want to be held accountable. No one at the labor camp wants to be held accountable. The law in China is not like the law here, as we think of the law in the West. It's really more like mafia style. It's who mm. you know who's got your back and who's ready to stab you in the back at any point in time. Watching Kay's documentary, one thing becomes clear. Not even top Chinese officials can protect their loved ones from being tortured to death. Dotted across the vast square, small groups of Falun Gong followers began unfurling banners and chanting, Falun Gong is good in the heart of the Chinese capital. 
the authorities have tried and failed to stamp out Falun Gong's peaceful protests despite a massive campaign to destroy the spiritual movement. Inside communist China, what could possibly justify this brutality? As Kay dug deeper into the story, the people she encountered gave her a whole new puzzle, and every piece of it was blood red. For Chinese Communist Party officials, to speak publicly and forthrightly about their experiences means endangering their future, their family, and even their lives. But Kay managed to locate dozens of former officials who had defected to various countries while she was working on her Finding Courage documentary. With a lot of persuasion, she managed to convince some of them to go on camera. Kay shared with us several exclusive clips ones never before released to the public. The order came down level by level from the central leadership. We all had to implement it. I had to open a labor camp to imprison Falun Gong. They established a special agency for it called 610 Offices. Deploy any and all resources to suppress Falun Gong. I worked at the 610 office for about five years. Any and all means are justified. Okay, I really appreciate you offering American thought leaders these exclusive clips from the interviews that you've done. And it's about 30 Chinese Communist Party insiders that you've interviewed? At least, but those willing to go actually on camera and public were with 13. And these are people who have a beef with the party. That's what I expected, but that wasn't really the case. I expected these former CCP officials to be disillusioned with the party, to be disaffected former members who wanted to complain about the CCP, but actually the majority of them felt a level of complicity in the crimes that had been committed and they, they were not talking to us to complain about the CCP. For her research, Kay has spoken to a number of former Chinese officials, including a former Chinese diplomat a labor camp director, a secret agent, a propagandist, and even an army colonel. In her book, she describes a striking experience when a former Chinese police commissioner described himself and those living under the Chinese Communist Party as walking dead. He said that we live like walking corpses. And when I heard that term walking corpses, I had to stop the translator at that point and say, are you translating this correctly? Am I hearing this right? And she said, yes, walking corpses, walking soulless bodies, walking flesh. That's what he was saying. When Kay first heard the term walking dead, she asked other former Chinese officials if they had heard the term as well. It turned out it wasn't that uncommon. They weren't just describing themselves, they were describing many people in China 
Living Like the Walking Dead and that's essentially how the book started was to be able to explain this concept in a Western context so that we could understand what they've become under this destructive ideology. So these are people who have basically obliterated their own consciences and or, or had them obliterated for them. There's another term that they also used, two layers of skin. That's where you have to separate your inner conscience from the outer layer of what you present to the public. So basically you have to push your conscience, your soul aside and also means you have to push your truth, your sense of morality aside and present to the public what the party wants you to present. That's what a communist member does, a communist official, that's what they must do. That's what they're obligated to do. They pledge an oath to put the needs of the party before their own. So if the party requires them to do certain things, which it does, and maybe they don't want to hurt somebody, but, but they have to hurt somebody. Maybe they don't want to lie, but they have to lie. So your personal conscience, your beliefs, sense of morality must be pushed to that, that inner layer of skin. And the outer layer of skin is justified to lie, cheat, steal, torture, or kill. So for example, in 2014, there was a photograph that was posted on Weibo. It was leaked from a CCP journalist training session. This slide stated very clearly that news focuses on information, propaganda on format. News focuses on originality, propaganda on repetition. News focuses on fact, propaganda on opinion. News focuses on the timely, propaganda on timing. News focuses on communication, propaganda on manipulation. News focuses on balance, propaganda on spin. The CCP journalists are very aware of what they are doing. They have clearly been told they do propaganda, not news. You the Chinese regime has always had a way of twisting words and events to its advantage. But only those who are truly aware of the regime's bloody past can see through the fog of propaganda. I'm a mother. I wouldn't ask my children to go and watch Killing on the Street. But he did that. So I had to ask him why. Why did you do that? And his answer was equally incomprehensible to me. The Tiananmen Square massacre was very, very visible in public. Since then, the regime has learned that you don't do that. You don't let the media see. That's why 
we don't have footage of the Falun Gong persecution or the Uyghur internment camps. I mean, we have little bits and pieces. But this particular official, he knew that it was significant for his daughter to go and watch the killing with her own eyes because he knew that they would cover it up. He knew that the propaganda from the CCP would come into effect immediately. It always has. Over the next few days, the CCP played reports that the students killed soldiers. But we know that's not the case. 10,000 students, regular citizens, were said to have died that night on the square. But they didn't have any memorial for them. They had a show memorial for just a small handful of soldiers who died on the square that night. And during the show memorial, who was on the square, was mostly young children and soldiers. And in the memorial, they had to pledge their oath, renew their oath to the party. And that's what was broadcast publicly for a very long period of time throughout all of China. And the official, he knew this. He knew this would happen. And that's why he wanted his daughter to see the slaughter so that she would be able to see through the CCP's lies and propaganda. You know, she could have just been just like one of those young children standing on the square, not knowing any better. While many people living in free countries cannot comprehend how a dictatorship could be so cruel towards its own citizens, Kay says members of the regime are largely jaded to its violent tactics. I was asking him questions that he thought were kind of ridiculous. Why does the regime kill Chinese people so brutally? And he was laughing at me. What do you expect? They've stated very clearly that they kill. How could you expect anything else? We don't understand the essence of the CCP. If we did, we would realize that that's not going to change. Its essence, its political goals haven't changed in the last 70 years. So how could we expect them to change or reform now? The political goals of the CCP are stated very clearly in its own constitution. One is absolute national control and the other is money above all else. Those are essential. So anything else, whether it's human life or, or the environment, they can be pushed aside. They could even be destroyed as long as those two goals are maintained. The CCP has stated their position very clearly. It's not hidden. For us to think anything else really is just willful blindness. It isn't comparable to our system here in the West. So we really cannot equate it to a Western government in any way. It is incompatible. If the Chinese Communist Party is as cruel and oppressive as evidence shows, why do so many Chinese people continue to put their faith in the regime? And why do we and the West continue to be fooled into cooperating with China? This is a book I wanted to show you. It's an example, right? Now, when you look through here, these posters, okay, what do you, what do you think? You know, like smiling, happy faces. I mean, to me, they're quite, quite beautiful. They're quite charming. So this is a representation that the CCP wants us to see, that history that they've rewritten. So all the crimes of the CCP, the number of people that they've killed, more than in Nazi Germany, more than in the wars of World War I and World War II, 
but this is the history that they're giving to us. The crimes that were committed during that time. If we if we were memorialising the Holocaust with with shiny, happy, smiling Nazi youth, I mean, it's just not acceptable now because we know history from that time. But this is the CCP history, but the killing, the murders, the suffering of the Chinese people. I get surprised when I see you know, someone with a Mao Zedong t-shirt or a Che Guevara t-shirt and, and really it's glorifying communism. And those people killed many <laughs> millions of their own people. But I, I don't know if the people wearing those shirts understand the, the, the crimes of the people they're glorifying. I don't think they understand at all. This reminded me of when I saw a poster of Chinese dictator Mao Zedong prominently displayed on the wall of a ritzy Upper East Side loft next to several pieces of artwork. I'm always deeply disturbed when I see such imagery, knowing that Mao Zedong was the deadliest dictator of the 21st century, responsible for the deaths of tens of millions. All of the glory and leadership coming from the party, a sickle and hammer there, coming from the sun, this is essentially still the message that they're driving home through propaganda today, even though uh, the imagery changes, they use video now and other, and other methods, but this is what the people in China have been, uh, have been fed for since the beginning. Now, propaganda posters have been replaced with video and television. Now here, the CCP presents to the public all these examples of how people do good. Chinese people doing good things for society. This is the example of the person who stays to the end. This is the example of the person who gives his all and works hard for the benefit of society. And at the end of this public service advertisement created by the CCP, it answers two kind of strange questions of the Chinese people. Who am I? What am I? And the answer, I am the Communist Party and I will be with you forever. The CCP is essentially taking credit for everything good done in China. Everything good done by the Chinese people, the CCP is taking credit for that. They say that the Chinese Communist Party will be with you forever. That's the message, the propaganda that is pushed out constantly every day throughout the nation. The subtext of that is this is the best you're going to get. You have to accept it. There is no alternative. Not only do you have to accept it, you have to love it. And a great number of regular Chinese citizens have come to accept that. They don't see an alternative. When we go to the primary school, we are encouraged to be young pioneer, young communist pioneer members and tie the, the, the red scarf. Rahoi 
，先有中国共产党，后来才有中国的。你要爱中国，你就得爱共产党。With its propaganda, it seems the regime can skillfully conflate the party with the nation of China and confuse people into thinking patriotism must mean devotion to the regime. Kay showed me an army recruitment ad, and the lyrics were stunning. It says, "Keep your mission in your mind. Have your enemies in your eyes. A war can break out any time. Are you ready for it?" The music builds up, and then a Chinese rapper calls, "Are you afraid?" The chorus cries, "No." The rapper asks, "Are you scared?" Chorus calls, "No." The rapper calls, "Just wait for the order," and the chorus replies, "Kill, kill, kill." There's more lyrics here, such as, "The murderous spirit flares up, just like the hammer and sickle. We join as one." In the West, we see the military as service. Our army recruitment advertisements promote the protection of life. Under the CCP, they're promoting the the taking of life and the extinction of life. The value of life under a communist society is very different, almost non-existent. But as a ordinary citizen, you in your development 他是无暇去再去顾及，他甚至又不知道哦，我自己还有人权，我还有权利，他不知道他有权利。因为我我呢，经常对共产党的做法呢，呃，很看不惯，所以有时候我甚至是不是认为我自己精神很不正常？为什么我认为很不好的事情，别人都都都无动于衷，很麻木呢？你讲话你就招麻烦，你讲话你就要进监狱，何必我去讲呢 ？In order to get money, people turn into be very cruel. Even a lot of people, you know, they they don't want to be cruel, but the society is cruel. They have to be cruel. People have asked, why don't the Chinese people rise up? And if the regime is really that bad, they would have done something about it. But you can see from what even the officials, the ones who run the CCP's operations, even they feel helpless. Let alone regular Chinese people. They've been told for decades they don't have a choice. You can imagine what it takes to overcome that kind of programming. That there is no alternative government possible in China, which we know from history is a lie, and that the nation of China will not exist if the CCP doesn't exist. Which is another lie. As Kay discovered in her research, to think independently in a communist society means rejecting almost everything you've been taught from birth, and sometimes it means risking your life. And you know, anything could have happened to them in China. Anything could have happened to their families there. Things still could happen, but they took that risk because they they really. Felt that the value of life here, the freedoms that we have, was worth it. They knew they would be seen as traitors in their country, by traitors to their nation, traitors to their people, and that's a shameful, horrible term to be called. I think they should be called heroes, because they were willing to take that step away from the ideology, despite knowing that they may still be captive to it to some degree for who knows how long. They took that step, and they were willing to speak out. 
they were willing to help us understand what they went through, but also what the Chinese people are still going through today. Also with the hope that we can avoid that fate. You know, it's a shame that they will be called anti-Chinese when, when you think about it, they are so pro-Chinese in terms of wanting to maintain their culture and their heritage the best they can, that they had to leave China under the CCP to maintain what they could here in the West where there's freedom to do so. While there's still so many people in China that just don't have access, free access to information, they, they may never be able to leave China or open their eyes to what another society can look like. The defectors, they were able to break through that. For the last century, the people of China have been held captive by a pernicious communist ideology. But for some at least, there is a happy ending. Having survived their darkest moments, the Chinese family in Kay's documentary has found a new life here in America, and Kay stays in touch with them as they enjoy their newfound freedoms. Solzhenitsyn, he wrote in his famous book, The Gulag Archipelago, that he still hoped people would be able to understand such a culture, such an environment, without actually having to live it. Truly, Alexander Solzhenitsyn warned us long ago that no country is immune to the poisons of communism. There's always this fallacious belief that it would not be the same here. Here, such things are impossible. Alas, all the evil of the 20th century is possible everywhere on Earth. You know, I think the Gulag Archipelago should be required reading for every American, Canadian, frankly, anyone who's grown up in the West, anyone who hasn't grown up in a communist regime. For most people living in liberal democracies, the idea of a communist dictatorship has been something unimaginable, something far away. It could never happen here, they say. But I fear that it's not really something that far off if we do not learn from the lessons of the past century. So your family has had to escape communism multiple times. That's pretty incredible. They first escaped Russia during the Russian Revolution, 1918. They went to China. They got safety there before the Chinese Communist Party came into power. Sometime after that, they were no longer welcome and they had to flee again. And they were fortunate that in Australia, they got freedom there. They could go to church, run a business, feed the family. And then my husband's family, they escaped the former Czechoslovakia under the Soviet occupation. And what I learned from my parents-in-law is that had they have known that the Berlin Wall would fall only five years after they left, they would never have left. And they could never imagine that things would change. And knowing that now actually gives me hope because anything can happen. Even though sometimes the situation doesn't seem that hopeful, we really can. I know the hope is there. You know, my mother, having escaped from communist Poland in the 70s, she told me she never imagined in a million years that that regime would fall, that uh, you know, communism would leave Poland and the Soviet Union. And I think that's what we can learn from, really looking back to our roots, knowing our history, because again, because this isn't taught, we forget that our next generations are not being taught that. And, and we need to remember that to ensure that we don't follow that line, that we maintain our freedoms. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ah!